Well, it's Wednesday night, and I want to say welcome to those of you sitting in church on this rainy night. Um, rainy night's better than wintry night. No snow, temperature above normal, we can take that. God has been good to us. And on my way to church tonight, I actually told the Lord thanks for giving us good weather. And um, who wants a long, cold, blistering winter? Uh, we'll take tropical weather in the winter, that's fine. But um, it's very good um, to come to church. And so I wanna say it's nice to see those of you attending church here tonight in person. And I want to welcome those following us online, um, whether in the United States or America or anywhere around the world. Welcome to our Wednesday night service. Um, we want to start in prayer and um, pray that God give us a good service tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks tonight for the privilege you've given to us, Lord, that we can be alive and we can come to, to, to this service. Uh, we can log on and uh, electronically follow the service. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, tonight as we enter into this particular Wednesday night, we ask that your presence will be with us. Touch the hearts of everyone listening to the service tonight, joining in with the service tonight. May your spirit minister strength to each one of us, we ask. Lord, whether locally or overseas, we pray that you'll be a blessing to your people. Inspire your words tonight, Lord, that it might challenge godliness in our lives. Again, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for your spirit, I can feel here in this place, where your people come together, lifting voices in praise. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit. I can feel air in this place where your people come together, lifting voices. And yes, we thank you, Father. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Father. Oh, thank you for your mercy. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. I can feel it in this place where your people come together, lifting voices in 
Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. I can feel here in this place. People come together, lifting voices in praise. Yes, we thank you, Father, in this I have 
questions I need you I know such beautiful songs and um, when we use the word worship we worship God I would <clears throat> I would like to classify these songs as real good worship songs uh, because they're all directed to the Lord and it's an opportunity for us to lift our spirits up to the Lord and give him praise and honor and glory We've said this so many times, but we are living in uh, trying times. We're living, I can say, without the shadow of a doubt in the last days. <clears throat> and I'm so glad that the Lord speaks to us in this assembly. Uh, he uses his own methods, his own ways. And in a world full of chaos, if it's not a tornado, it's a hurricane. If it's not a hurricane, it's a flood. And we're looking at so many destructive elements that's all around the world. And it reminds me of the time when the Lord uh, told Israel when they came out of Egypt that the land was spewing the inhabitants that were in that land out of the land. Now listen to me for a few moments here. Um, what are you saying, Brother Singh? Well, I'm saying that Israel, the nation of Israel, they were in Egypt for over 400 years. They had become Egyptians, not only citizens of Egypt, but they have been... Their, their mindset was indoctrinated with the principles of Egypt. 
in so much that when the Lord was ready to send Moses and to go speak to Pharaoh, uh, even Moses said, Lord, who should I tell Pharaoh is sending me? What's your name? And you know, it's, it's one of those things. But Israel coming out of Egypt, coming through the promised land, and today, in today's world, every pulpit talks about Jerusalem. Every pulpit will talk about Israel. And we are indeed concerned about what's happening in the Mideast. But then, not only in the Mideast, all around the world. And what God told Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt, the Lord told them that uh, when they, the land they're going into, uh, they should not carry Egyptian customs into that land, and they should not take up the customs of the people from that land. And what the Lord said, he says, if they did, as the land of Canaan was spewing out the inhabitants from the land, the Lord, the land will also spew Israel out. And so tonight, <clears throat> I'm not here giving you a talk on Israel. I'm just telling you that the earth has a way of spewing out the inhabitants from it when there is sin and transgressions. We have looked at the prophecy in Isaiah, and again, I'm going to say that's not my message for tonight. But in Isaiah the 24th chapter, the reason why the earth is reeling to and fro like a drunkard, it's because the inhabitants have transgressed the laws of God. Isaiah chapter 24, and we're looking at this prophet. Now tonight, I want to make mention that there are men in the Bible that are my heroes. It is strange, but that's the world we're living in. So I, I don't have living heroes. But I have men in the past. And when I look at all these men in the Bible, uh, they're men like, um, uh, let me see if I can follow them, Isaiah, Jeremiah. I don't know everything about God. But I like Jeremiah, and I like Isaiah, they're the main ones. I like Malachi, because he dealt with uh, the people before the last book of the Old Testament was the book of Malachi. And it's always good when someone reaches the end of their uh, period of time to see what's the message. And Malachi gives us the last message God gave to the nation of Israel before they went into a dark period of apostasy. A dark period of apostasy. Hundreds of years after Malachi, when G John the Baptist came on the scene and Jesus came on the scene, Jesus called the Pharisees, they were the most educated individuals in that time. He says, blind leaders of blind people. And in today's world, most preachers are blind spiritually. But is saying, are you saying that to what you think I'm saying? I'm saying, not only me saying that, I'm not the only one saying that, but scripture tells us. 
And so when God sent Israel into the promised land, the land will spew them out. And that's what Isaiah 24 is telling you. It says uh, in verse uh, 1, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. How is the Lord making the earth empty? You see, Isaiah is just having a vision and he's looking at what's happening and the words are coming into his mouth. It's come making it empty seemingly because men are dying under the judgment of God. And he maketh it waste. It means that it's beaten up. It's battered. It's like a broken toy. And it says, He turned it upside down and scattered abroad the inhabitants thereof. First one tells you that God is judging the world. Why is God judging the world? Well, remember Isaiah is not looking, the, looking at the whole earth. He's just looking at the nation of Israel. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. And when he looks at this, he says the judgment hits everybody. It hits the people, verse 2. And it hits the priest. It hits the servants, the employees. And it hits the employers. It hits the maid and the mistress. It hits the buyer, business people and the seller. It hits the taker of usury and so with the giver of usury. So the land shall utterly be the, the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. Now why is this happening? The earth mourneth and faded away, the world languisheth and faded away, and the haughty people. You know, people talk and they're haughty. Now it's one thing for the ungodly man out there to be haughty, it's another thing for the godly people so called to be haughty. And when I look at our ministry and myself included, I'm never excluded, I look at men walking around with a briefcase and carrying themselves with this air of superiority to the rest of the world. Listen, if the judgment hits us all, there's no feeling of superiority. We should not have a feeling of superiority if when the judgment hits, it hits the whole world. Now here is we're getting closer to home. Because this is what the Lord told Israel. Why is it hitting? It says, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws. They have changed the ordinances of God. It's not that the law was not there, but they have transgressed the moral law. And the ordinances, the added law, the ceremonial aspects of the law, mankind has changed it uh, because it's too boring and stale. We want to put some vim and rhythm in it. And broken the everlasting covenant. And when you break the covenant, the curse takes a hold of the world. You see, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, and they, Adam entered, when Eve transgressed the law, and Adam entered with his wife into breaking the laws of God, you know the Lord did not curse Adam. He cursed the serpent, and he cursed the ground. And then he told Adam that out of the f sweat of his face, 
He'll have to toil and eat bread because the ground was cursed. He cursed the serpent. And he told the woman that she shall be saved with childbearing. I think prior to man's transgression, childbearing was pleasant. We're so full of philosophy, we're so full of understanding, we're so full of, you know, talk and, and so-called knowledge that it dulls our minds. However, the curse, therefore, verse 6, the curse has devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the earth, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men live. Now, this is all telling you, Isaiah is telling Israel, that this is a vision that he is having. Uh, is it a vision of today? Is it a vision of tomorrow? Is it a vision of the past? Uh, it is a vision, doesn't matter what period of time you're living in. If you transgress the law, you will suffer the consequences. And today, when I'm having my quiet time, uh, I'm not praying for a lot of people this morning. I'm just praying for a selected few. And um, uh, these selected few that I'm praying for, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, we have so many problems, physical problems and uh, ailment in our bodies. We live. We don't just die every day. We're living. But there's so many of you, many of your children with problems in their body. And you know what came into my mind? Uh, the scripture that says, if you, when the Lord tells Israel to come out of Babylon, he says, come out of her, my people. Um, I'm leaving Isaiah 24. I'm turning all the way over to Revelation. And this scripture came into my mind this morning in my quiet time. Uh, when the Lord says to Israel, he says, come out of her. My people, he says, Babylon the great is fallen. Chapter 18 of Revelation, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having, a, with, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. Now I want to believe, is this angel Jesus? Or is this another mighty angel? Is it Gabriel? And this angel cried with a mighty, Mightily, he cried mightily with a strong voice telling you that Babylon the great is fallen is fallen now we have spoken in the time in times past when I came on into this fellowship I was told that Babylon has three parts religious commercial and political and so if you're describing religion politics and commerce we're talking about the world that we're living in um, the early church never preached any message against Babylon the early church never preached come out of her my people somebody started that among us and uh, so we all run with it and we say come out of her my people and we feel that when you come on in to gospel assembly church you're out of Babylon well, if Babylon was a building down the street and you were in there, living in there, or Sister uh, Dorothy living here next door, if your building is Babylon and you're here, you're out of Babylon. But after church, you go back to Babylon. Well, Babylon is not a building, my friend. Babylon is a spirit. 
That is why the early church did not preach, come out of her, my people. The early church did not preach that. But the early church preached a message that say, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What did Jesus pray for his disciples? That you don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil that exists in the world. And so when you come on into church, you're bringing with you a lot of traits and habits and practices and customs that was passed on to you over the years. And maybe you're here being sanctified, and as you're sanctified, Babylon is, is you're getting freed from the spirit of Babylon. And so when the scripture tells us here, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, become the habitation of devils and of whole and um, and the whole of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. It's talking about demonic activity in Babylon. Um, I had a good friend of mine, and she is a Hindu, and I was hoping that you know you could win somebody that's this Hindu lady. And um, so she came to our house. And she came with a Muslim, two Muslims, and this Hindu lady came to our house. And when that Hindu woman walks in, walked into my house, <clears throat> she was ready to walk her back. Because in my house there is, I'm there, and there is a presence in my house of God. And demons cannot accommodate that presence. They cannot stand that presence. And I can tell you stories, but I'm not going to do that tonight. So, uh, when you think about it, Babylon's got a spirit, an evil spirit, that permeates Babylon. Preachers are possessed with it. Uh, organizations are possessed with it. So not only commerce, but religion and polit pol uh, uh, politics, civil, civil government, uh, three aspects we're looking at. I think Babylon has a lot more than three aspects. I think there are three major aspects, religion, commerce, and, and civil government. But I believe civil government has a lot of tentacles that it operates with. And I think uh, we, when we talk about civil government, we're talking about uh, the entertainment of civil government. I have a problem, and maybe this is just a paranoia that I have. When I put my radio on, it always, whenever I put my radio on, sportsmen come up. I don't like sports. The Lord saved me from sports when I was a kid. That's me. If you like it, good for you. I don't know if it's good for you, but uh, <laughs> have it your way. Um, there was a time that I would love uh, to celebrate Christmas. Christmas was one of my big things. Nadine is still pagan a little bit, uh, so she still has a little bit of Christmas in her. But um, but I'm telling myself today, as I'm walking around uh, in the yard getting things done, I said, you know, I don't really like Christmas. I don't hate Christmas. I'm not addicted. It shows a form of conversion. But there'll come a time when you would not have it. There's coming a time 
when there will be no love for that. Not mechanically, because if you do that because I tell you, you're not going to be saved from it. But when God starts to save you, you lose your love for some things and your love for other things as spiritual increases. And this is important. And so in Revelation, the Lord is telling his people, he's saying, and this angel Christ says, Babylon the great is fallen, is become the habitation of every foul spirit and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> habitation of devils. And then the Lord goes on here and he says here in verse 4, he says in verse 3, all nations of the earth have drunk of the wine of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Now Babylon here is this evil system. It's not the Catholic Church per se, but it's an evil system that controls the world. And this is what chapter 13 of Revelation is talking about when it says the world wanders after the beast, except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now listen carefully to me. When I'm looking at a church, they hear the word of God and then they're gone. And you wonder, what's happening? Well, don't wonder. My heroes of the past are setting the example, have set the example for me to follow. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Some of these men are the examples I look forward to from the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What about Jesus himself, rejected of men? But here is what the Lord is asking people, and this is what came to my mind this morning. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, The voice is saying, Come out of her, my people. Now, the Lord is telling his people. Now listen to me how this is changed around to suit a preacher's fancies, you know, like he wants to interpret it his way. When the scripture says, come out of her, my people, and I came on into this fellowship, I was told that the Lord is going to look out there and says, come out of her, my people, out there, Babylon. Come, come, come. No, who are God's people today? If we are God's people, God is telling us to get the spirit of Babylon out of us. And if you don't get the spirit of Babylon out of you, you see, you can be so blinded by your religious fantasies that you might not even know you're full of the devil. That's right. You can be so blinded by your fanatical traditions that you don't even know that you're full of Babylon. Busy telling people to come out from Babylon. Physician, heal yourself. And so my people, my people which are called by my name, Chronicles, Chronicles, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and come out of Babylon. That's what it means. 
Ask God to cleanse you. Because here's the problem. Come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins. Hold on a minute. You see, when the word sin is used, it's too general. Sin is too general. What sin? Hollywood. Sports. All this flamboyance that's going on in the world. Sins of Babylon. See, sins of Babylon <coughs> is full out here. And I wish to God sometimes we don't have the internet. Then those people following me would not be able to hear a message. And that might be good for everyone's soul. Because when we sit in our living room to hear the word of God. We feel like we don't need to come to church on a Wednesday. That's right. There was a time. No matter where you live in the city. You made it to church on a Wednesday night. Am I right, Brother John? Oh, yes. We made it to church on a Saturday night. Packed out church on a full band. We made it to church on a Sunday at 1 o'clock. Packed out church, full band. We made it to church on a Sunday night. Packed out church, 7.30. And Wednesday night, church was full. The same people drifted away because they never had roots. When the storms of life hit your boat, it will sink. When the storms of life hits your life, you'd find if your house is built on the sand, it will shift. <clears throat> and so, what has happened? Come out of her, my people. Her sins are a whole lot in this world. Some are subtle sins. And this is what we need to pray. You need to pray. Don't say sin. Which sin? Lord, forgive me of my sins. Which one, son? Well, I lied today. Okay, son, I forgive you of that lying spirit. Lord, I'm out of sins. Which one, son? I bust my eyes watching movies all day. I'll forgive you that. Go and sin no more. And we, we hobnob and we take drink of the wine of her fornication. And we sin. Partake of her sins. And what happens? Read it. Verse 4. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her. My people, how do you come out of her? By not doing what she wants you to do. That ye be not partakers of her sins. Because if you do. Just like everybody else does. You will receive of her plagues. That is why the priest got judged. In Isaiah 24. And that is why the people got judged in Isaiah 24. And the politicians. And everybody. And that is why in, in, in Revelation the 13th chapter. The whole world is wandering after the beast. 
If we partake of our, partake of our sins, we'll receive of our plagues. So don't ask yourself, why am I being judged? Find out why. Which one? Which one of the plagues? What was the reason? Which sin? And we need, as children of God, to examine ourselves. Ministers need to examine themselves, and the saints need to examine our, themselves. And if ever Jesus will give power to the two witnesses, the temple must be measured. That's okay. It's easier to measure the temple. A lot of pe preachers do that, measure the temple, what, how we ought to come, uh, what day we ought to come, what, what are the service hours. But the altar needs to be measured. Your sacrifices need to be measured. Are you following me? And then last but not least, measure the people. So when God put a measurement on each one of us, is he finding us qualified? Or is he finding us disqualified? Do we drink more of the cup of the devil, the woman's cup of fornication, than we're drinking the cup of the Lord? Is the entertainment of the world a part of us? And it's not easy to live in Egypt and not eat the cucumbers. Unlike Israel that came out of Egypt physically, we are left in Egypt and told not to follow the laws of Pharaoh. And every one of us that are children of God ought to monitor what we do all day. What are we doing? What is my mind feeding on? Am I partaking of our sins? Is this activity one of the sins that Babylon has, that the Lord says you partake of our sins, you'll receive of our plagues? You see, I honestly believe when David said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, he's telling you, you're blessed if you don't walk in the paths of Babylon or the world or drink of the wine of our fornication. That's exactly what David is telling you. And when you don't drink of the wine of our fornication and you're not intoxicated with that wine, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Your leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever you do shall prosper. See, the promises are there, and yet at the same time we must balance it with discipleship because the Lord wants us to have the, pros the principle of discipleship in our lives where Christ is developed in us. Chastening is necessary. But chastening and wrath are two different things altogether. Chastening is designed to save the child of God from within. Wrath is God's judgment against that which is presumptuously defying God. And these are the thoughts that came into my head. I'm looking at the clock and I've got 10 minutes. And so when I'm thinking of all these heroes... I want to talk a little bit about a different, not a hero here in the New Testament, and his name is Paul. This Paul is writing a last epistle, 2 Timothy is his last epistle. And I remember, um, I'm looking back and see Malachi writing the last bit here for, before God sends Israel into a period 
of darkness spiritually. We need to examine ourselves. And so when we think about Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament and we're coming into the new period of time, New Testament period of time where Jesus comes, John the Baptist, Jesus, the 12 apostles, and all of that, we're looking at a different period of time. See, your vocabulary carries your brains. And you can only think as much as your vocabulary is. If I say mercury, and you only know about the stars, you wouldn't think of the chemical that's mercury. You understand what I'm saying? And so we're limited to our knowledge. And so when we're looking at some of these areas of scripture, Paul is writing his last epistle, and it's good to see what the man's mind is made up of as he writes this last epistle, and I got 10 minutes. Look like the clock has stopped, is it? No, I got 10 minutes. The clock slowed down and give me some time here. And Paul was converted. I'm going to give you a brief little education here today. I'm going to be an educator for a little bit. I'm not sure if this facts are real. I'm just judging from King James Bible, the Oxford version that I have. Uh, Paul was converted in AD 33. That's when Jesus was just uh, he just died and left the earth. Paul was converted according to Acts the ninth chapter where he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Then the first epistle Paul wrote, he wrote a lot of epistles. The first epistle Paul wrote was in Galatians, it was Galatians to the letter to the Galatians, 8050, 8050. And then the second one to, Thessalon to Thessalonica, uh, the Thessalonians, uh, AD 51, Corinth 55, Romans 56, uh, Philippians 80, 60. I put them out as much as I can see them. And they're not important. When he wrote them is not important. What he wrote inside that affects your life, that is important. All right? So Colossians and Ephesians seemingly was written um, in AD 61. And 1 Timothy and Titus was written in 86-3. It seems like Paul died in 86-4, just after he wrote his last epistle to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And a few things I want to bring to your attention as we look at 2 Timothy here. <clears throat> Paul is, is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And a few verses I'll pick on here. He says, he says um, verse 7, Verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing, by the will of God. Verse 7, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, <clears throat> but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore, Timothy, ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Don't let the crowd make you fail to hold on to your testimony. Nor of me his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of your pastor. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. And that is important because if Timothy is going to continue the work of God, he can't be embarrassed of Paul. I wonder if he was trying to teach Paul. I wonder if Timothy was ever trying to teach Paul. I can tell you the answer to that question. 
Not in a million years. Even though Timothy might have had greater, a greater revelation later on in his life and might have known some things that Paul didn't know, he would never try to teach Paul. You've got to be arrogant and really exalted to want to teach a teacher. Leave that and let's move on. He says, This the Lord who hath saved us, verse 9, and called us with an holy calling according to his own to our to our works. Not but not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began. God planned before the world ever, ever existed that a people must live holy. So you and I are living in time, but God had this plan prior to the existence of this entire world and the galaxies. And then he goes on here, he tells Timothy, here is his concern, hold steadfast, verse 13. The form what kind of message Paul preached? Sound words. It is important that you hold on to sound words. And ever so often, sound words would leave a pastor's mouth. And unless it reaches the heart of the people, they would just think it's a statement. Sound words, Timothy should hold on which you which thou hast heard of me in faith and love and in Christ Jesus. This thou knowest, verse 15, Timothy was aware that all they that are in Asia are turned against Paul, of whom are five jealous and hermogenes. Names were called of individuals. I like Paul because he was very blunt and specific in dealing with crisis. In chapter 2, he says, The things that thou hast heard of me, verse 2, the messages you heard of me among many witnesses, the rest of people sitting in church, he says, the same. Don't change it. The same. Commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach other faithful men also. He says, Be thou... Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Here is he telling this young man. He says, be a good soldier. Endure hardness. It's a part of this godly life. And no man at war entangling himself with the affairs of this life. What we do in the world and we're busy, 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 busy can rob us of our connection with God. He tells Timothy not to do that. He says in verse 15, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman study what? The messages Paul preached. See, Timothy, if he had the internet like we have today, he would be listening to every message we put on Spotify. Do you have the spirit of Timothy? Nobody's saying, i got my own spirit. Well, good for you. And I say good for you sarcastically. I listen to my own message, messages because I believe when I stand to preach, God inspires me. And the message I preach can save me. But if you're in your own little box in the world, God can save you. You're not the first, you're not the last. The world wanders after the beast.
We need to be saved from the spirit of Babylon that is still resident in a lot of us. We need to be saved from Babylon. God's people that I'm talking to, come out of her. My people, God is telling you. Else, you will suffer the consequences. You see, we are about to get into a situation, and somebody was reminding me of a message I preached of Matthew in Matthew 24, where I said, when you start to see these things happen, an abomination of desolation, and standing where it should not stand. You know, that scripture doesn't say it fall. Do you know that, Brother John? It didn't say abomination of desolation falling. It says standing. And from the time that mosque is put, and you go down the line, Jesus said, And this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And a lot of preachers will disagree with me, but they say, well, you know, generation is 40 years. No, generation is 70 years. No, generation is 90 years. <clears throat> I believe what Jesus was saying. The generation alive from the time Israel became accepted as a nation in 1948, everyone that's alive will not pass away until the end comes. And when you're looking at the Mideast and you're sorry for the Palestinians and the Jews that are being bombed and suffering, guess what? Armageddon is knocking on the door. Because if the generation shall not pass, and there's truth in that, we're living in that period of time where hell will break loose all around us. And unless your heart is right, you'll run with fear and trepidation. It's time to build that, develop your faith in God. And not to take too much of your time, but Paul says this, and he goes on here in chapter 3, he tells you that perilous times shall come upon the world. Why? Because men in the church and out of the church will be lovers of their own selves. And this includes saints, it includes business people, it includes people out in the professional world out there, but sadly, it includes preachers also. Love yourself. You know, the more I know me, and I'm honest to God telling you this, the more I know me is the less I love me. And so I always wonder, why would a man love himself? I can't understand. Every day I beat myself. Every day I feel disqualified to be in the kingdom of God. But when I look back, I don't love the things I used to love, Brother John. God is saving me, and the process is continuous. Sanctification is a process, and God is saving me. And then when Paul goes on, he says, and he talks about covetousness and all of that, he says, traitors, verse 4, heady. Everybody say heady. It doesn't mean your head is big. It means your head mentally and spiritually big is bigger than you can handle. 
He says, high-minded and lovers of pleasures. This is the problem we have, whatever pleasure uh, it is. Are we lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Can you sit down and listen to a message for one hour? Well, brother Singh, that's a long time. Can you watch a movie for an hour and a half, two hours? You love pleasure more than you love God. That's the reason. It's a night for examination. We need to come out of Babylon, get rid of the spirit. If you cannot even sit down and listen to my message, well, brother, saying, I don't have technology to do it, but you have technology to let the devil feed on your mind. Get saved. He goes on, he says, despise, despisers of those that are good, you abandon the people that are good. You see, we, I'm sitting here tonight, am I despised? Answer, yes. Everyone that should be in church here and is not in church tonight has despised me. You despise those that are good because you're caught up in the spirit of society. No apologies. I preach an unapologetic message. And if Paul goes on, he says, lovers of pleasure is more than lover of God. And what they can do, they can establish a form of godliness. Come on, children of God, somebody say amen, hallelujah. Uh-huh. Any old joker can do that. There was a story of a man that went to uh, went into a church. Hollywood hired him to pretend he was a preacher. And he went into the Pentecostal church in New York. I can't remember the exact time, but they hired this actor, Brother John, to go visit the church as a passing evangelist. Man's not even saved. And when he went in there, people got filled with the Holy Ghost. Slain. What a gullible society we live in. What fickleness exists in this world. And sadly, it exists in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I'm finishing up here. Hold on. And so Paul said, he comes down to the end, he having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Verse 7, ever learning Never come to the knowledge of truth in your own life. Ten, but I was fully known my doctrine, Paul says. And you have known my persecutions, verse 11. He says, verse 13, everyone, 2,000 years ago this was written. But evil men and seducers will decrease. No, they'll wax worse and worse, deceiving while they themselves are being deceived. He says, but continue in the things which thou hast learned of me. Not being assured, knowing of whom you learned it. Don't forget where you're coming from. Don't forget. See that man Sinbad sitting there? He's in this church. He was my neighbor in Guyana. He hasn't forgotten where he's coming from. 
That's why he's here. That's why he takes a subway and come every day, he and his wife, and they open up the church and clean the thing up on a Wednesday night. They don't have a car. They take subway. Winter is coming. They got to travel back all the way back home. But he has not forgotten where he is coming from. And I appreciate that. But that will save you. See, the drunkards and the harlots will enter into the kingdom before the self-righteous hypocrites that live in our day. Let me finish up. I'm already over my time. But that's okay. Listen, listen with me over time tonight. And Paul went on. <clears throat> he says, um, he says, he says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. And then he says here in chapter 4, we're looking at the man's last letter. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge thee. What an authority. I charge you. You're a police officer? Why are you charging me? Yes, he says, I charge you. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will judge the quick and the dead of disappearing in kingdom. Don't be a joker in the pulpit. When you get up behind a pulpit, make sure you're preaching the word. You're not there doing philosophy or whatever else. You preach the word that God places in your heart. As you stand, it comes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because the time will come when sound doctrine will be uh, will be ignored and be um, spurred at. Is that the right word? Spurned. Will be spurned. He says, Paul is saying that you be careful. He says to Timothy, he says, let him know, he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He's about to finish his life. Now I'm going to finish here tonight. Paul's last letter is an important letter to remember. But I was privileged to hear the last message my pastor taught. It's called Brother Goodwin's last message. And when he preached that message, you can hear his heart distressed and disappointed with the work of God. He had no clogged arteries. He had a heart attack because of the grief that the work of God had placed on him. He died as a champion. And I love him. Not for the way he lived his whole life, but for the way he died as a champion. May God help us to live for God and to die for him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for this, this Wednesday night. We pray that your word will challenge our hearts, Father. God, there's a Bible full of examples that we can make heroes of. Give us the right spirit, O oh Father. Give us the right attitude. Help us to serve thee faithful even unto the end. Help us to come out from under the spirit of Babylon. In Jesus' name. Amen.